I am Vladimir Kopal, now professor of international law at the Faculty of Law, uh, University of Pilsen, Czech Republic. For the time being, I am also chairman of the legal subcommittee of the United Nations Committee on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space. And during the 1980s, uh, I was uh, principal officer of the United Nations and later on uh, chief of the United Nations Outer Space Affairs Division. In my lecture, which is called Progressive Development of International Space Law by the United Nations, an attempt will be made to characterize and evaluate the building up of an international legal basis for space activities, and it, as it has been developed in the United Nations through the Committee on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space and its legal subcommittee. Problems and prospects of a further growth of this basis will also be briefly examined. Finally, uh, the character of the system of space law as a part of the present uh, international law will be outlined. So in the first part of my uh, lecture, I will deal with origins and consideration of legal problems relating to space activities in the United Nations. The beginning of the consideration of legal problems of space activities in the UN started almost simultaneously with the first space flights, which were affected by the launches of artificial satellites in orbit around the Earth under the scope of the International Geophysical Year. The exploration of outer space by unprecedented means of space technology became an essential part of that comprehensive scientific program, which was successfully accomplished in 1957-1958. Another essential part of the International Geophysical Year was the development of international cooperation regarding the scientific investigation in Antarctica. Its uh, successful implementation led then to the conclusion of the Antarctic Treaty on the 1st of December 1959. That instrument offered a certain example how to proceed with problems of international relations and the need for an adequate regulation thereof arising from the progress of applying science and technology in special areas newly opened for mankind. Unlike uh, Antarctica, however, which at the time was a subject of interest of a limited number of states, space activities, their impact on maintaining the peace in international relations and also a vision of possible benefits therefrom for all nations initiated from the very beginning a great interest and also concerns of the world community as a whole. Therefore, it was quite natural that the existing world organization, the United Nations, became the theatre for discussions on this issue, notwithstanding the fact that the first space flights were accomplished at that time by two great powers, which alone commanded the means to do so. Politically, the development of international cooperation among, th uh, among them and their willingness to negotiate on an appropriate regulation of space activities were enabled by a certain thaw of tensions among the then politico-military box, which had been established during the earlier period of the so-called Cold War. And without doubt, the cooperation in the conduct of space activities, which led to negotiations on legal instruments to govern the peaceful exploration and use of outer space, significantly helped to change the state of relations between the East and the West, from the brink of war towards a peaceful competition and a certain cooperation in space activities. 
the establishment of a special body within the United Nations for dealing with the problems of international cooperation in space activities became an essential step for the development of this trend. That body was created first at an ad hoc committee by the United Nations General Assembly Resolution in 1958 and consisted of eight, 18 member states of the United Nations. A report came uh, out from the session of the ad hoc committee, which also included an assessment of legal aspects involved. Only one year later, the agreement on the transformation of the ad hoc committee into a permanent body was reached. At the 14th session, of the General Assembly in 1959. Since then, the newly established Committee on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space, the acronym is COPWOS, I will use it during my lecture, became the focal point of the United Nations for international cooperation in space activities. Its original membership comprised 24 states, but it was later on expanded several times up to the present 69 states. Nevertheless, still two more years had passed before real negotiations started in this UN body. In resolution 1721, which was adopted in 1961, a program for military uh, for multilateral cooperation in the exploration and use of outer space was unanimously adopted by the UN General Assembly. And in the first part of that resolution, fundamental principles were commended for guidance of states in their space activities. Interesting to observe that the resolution brought immediately a decision on three issues of a cardinal importance. The principles of international legality, freedom of space activities in conformity with international law, and non-appropriation of outer space and celestial bodies have thus become pillars of the emerging space law. By the same resolution, the UN General Assembly invited COPWAS to study and report on the legal problems which might arise from the exploration and use of outer space. This was the original mandate of the COPWAS in the legal field, which has remained valid until these days. In other parts of that resolution, guidelines were provided for the development of international cooperation in several fields, such as telecommunication, meteorology, and, and so on, which was considered at, as useful and feasible at that time. Furthermore, the international structure of the COP was crystallized. Two subcommittees of that body one scientific and technical, another legal, were created by the main committee for detailed considerations of specific proposals concerning scientific or technological and legal questions that would be raised by the COPWAS member states. Both subcommittees started their work in Geneva in 1962 and then held their sessions almost regularly every year. They have com been composed of the same member states as the main committee, the COPOS itself, and thus became specialized sessions of the main committee devoted to issues with, within their particular mandate. Moreover, a practice of admitting intergovernmental and non-governmental organizations active in space matters outside uh, of the United Nations, as observers to the sessions of the COPOS and its subcommittees developed during the following years. An important agreement concerning the decision-making in the committee and its subcommittees was also reached amongst the members of the COPWAS, which was declared in the statement by the chairman of this body. According to it, 
all decisions of the committee and its subcommittees should be subject to agreement without need for voting. The adoption of this principle, which became later known as the rule of consensus, was a prerequisite for reaching effective outcomes of all endeavors in the field of international cooperation in space activities and the development of United Nations space law. Since then, the rule of consensus spread its application to other UN bodies, including the General Assembly. Finally, uh, within the United Nations Secretariat, an Outer Space Affairs Group, which later on grew up into an Outer Space Affairs Division, in which I had the pleasure uh, to be working, was set up in the then Department of Political and Security Council Affairs in New York in order to assist the COPWAS, its subcommittees and working groups in their dealings. During the first half of the 1990s, uh, the Outer Space Affairs Division expanded into the present Office for Outer Space Affairs. And uh, uh, this uh, office then moved from New York to the United Nations office in Vienna. Since then, all sessions of the COPWAS and both its subcommittees have taken place there. Vienna has also been the theater of three United Nations conferences on the peaceful uses of outer space held respectively in 1968 1982 and 1999. In the second chapter of my lecture, I will deal with the building up of an international legal basis for space activities and its present state. Since the beginning of the work of the COPWAS and its legal subcommittee in the legal field, a large number of issues have, be, have been considered and suitable resolutions thereof have been agreed upon. In particular, five international treaties and five sets of principles are usually recalled as the main up-to-date outcomes of those discussions and they offer quite an impressive picture of achievements. At least a brief summary of the United Nations space law, as these instruments are often called, should be offered here. The UN Declaration on Legal Principles Governing the Activities of States in the Exploration and Use of Outer Space, approved by the General Assembly in 1963, became the first outcome of the lawmaking process. The 1963 declaration, as we usually call it, was not a treaty because as a General Assembly resolution it could formulate only recommendations to member states, international bodies of the UN system or the mankind as a whole. Nevertheless, the declaration brought a number of important principles which could then be transformed into legally binding provisions of the 1967 Outer Space Treaty, some of them without any change, some of them in a more uh, developed language. This Outer Space Treaty, the full, uh, its title is the Treaty on Principles Governing the Activities of States in the Exploration and Use of Outer Space, including the Moon and other celestial body which was signed in London, Moscow and Washington on the 27th January 1967, became the fundamental uh, legally binding instrument of the present international space law. It dealt with all issues, the resolution of which was considered at that period as necessary for creating a sufficient basis for international cooperation in space activities. It was not only adopted by consensus, both in the COPWAS and the UN General Assembly, 
but it also reached shortly a relatively high number of states' parties, which made that instrument for themselves legally binding, so that it could enter into force the same year on the 10th October 1967. The Outer Space Treaty, notwithstanding a number of more specific provisions in some points, remained on the level of general or legal rules, as also evident by its title, Treaty on Principles. From among these principles, at least some should be commented here because they brought not only a significant advance in the building up of uh, the space law foundations, but they also made a meaningful contribution to the development of international law as a whole. It was first a group of principles incorporated in Article 1 of the Outer Space Treaty the benefit of all countries, the freedom of exploration, and the use of outer space, the moon and other celestial bodies by all states, and the freedom of scientific investigation and international cooperation in such investigation. Furthermore, the principle of non-appropriation of outer space, including the Moon and other celestial bodies in Article 2 of the Outer Space Treaty, which was already spelled out in the 1963 Declaration, received uh, a, a new uh, confirmation and remained in, intact as in one brief but comprehensive sentence declared the ban of national appropriation of the new vast area open for mankind by any means. Article 3 then restated one of the first principles of space law, which was already spelled out in the General Assembly Resolution 1721 in uh, 1961, namely the duty to conduct space activities in accordance with international law including the Charter of the United Nations. Moreover, such activities shall be carried in the interest of maintaining international peace and security and promoting international cooperation and understanding. In Article 4 of the Outer Space Treaty, the first legal basis for demilitarization of outer space was laid down though only some specific limitations of military activities in the space environment were agreed upon at that time. States parties to the treaty have undertaken not to place in orbit around the Earth any objects carrying nuclear weapons or any other kinds of weapons of mass destruction, install such weapons on celestial bodies, or station such weapons in outer space in any other manner. Conventional weapons, however, have not been prohibited. In the second paragraph of the same article, more far-reaching limitations of military activities have been enshrined. However, they have concerned only the Moon and other celestial bodies, not outer space itself. According to that provision, the Moon and other celestial bodies shall be used by all states parties to the treaty exclusively for peaceful purposes. This general clause has been accompanied by a number of specific prohibitions of different kinds of military activities. In Article 5 of the Outer Space Treaty, basic principles concerning assistance to be rendered to astronauts in the event of accidents, distress or emergency landing on the territory of another state or on the high seas have been included. Special attention should be drawn to Article 6 of the Outer Space Treaty, which incorporated the principle of international responsibility of states for national space activities, whether such activities are carried on by governmental agencies or by non-governmental entities, and for assuring 
that national activities are carried out in conformity with the provisions of the Outer Space Treaty. The wording of that principle, which had also appeared for the first time in the 1963 declaration, emerged as a compromise formula, which reconciled the originally opposing views of those wishing to reserve space activities only for states and international organizations, and it was at the time the reality and those advocating also the access to outer space activities to non-governmental entities. After some controversial discussions, uh, uh, it was uh, uh, negotiated and uh, compromised, and uh, the states parties uh, of these negotiations agreed on the participation of both the public and private subjects and thus opened the way to the private sector for developing space activities side by side with states and international organizations. The significance of this agreement has been later confirmed by the growing participation of non-state entities in such activities. At the same time, however, the respective states assumed a direct responsibility not only for their own space activities, but also for the activities of private legal persons of their nationality. Thus, the state parties are also responsibility for assuring that all national activities are carried out in conformity with the provisions of the Outer Space Treaty. The activities of non-governmental entities in outer space, including the Moon and other celestial bodies, shall require authorization and continuing supervision by the respective states parties to the treaty. This concept of national activities in outer space and international responsibility of states parties to the outer space treaty must be understood and interpreted in harmony with other principles of the treaty, particularly its Article 2. According to this provision, outer space, including the Moon and other celestial bodies, is not subject to national appropriations by claim of sovereignty, by means or use of occupation, or by any other means. Therefore, any appropriation, be it attempted by international or private persons on any ground whatsoever, has been excluded. International liability for damage caused by, to another state or its nationals by launching of objects into outer space was provided in Article 7 of the Outer Space Treaty. It belongs to the special category of international responsibility of, for activities which, due to their hazardous nature, may cause damage to be compensated if it really occurs, though such activities do not violate any rule of international law. The fact that the states parties to the Outer Space Treaty agreed on adopting these principles dealing with responsibility and liability has been from the legal point of view a significant result, which later on enabled to reach an agreement on a special convention on international liability for damage caused by space objects. The principle of retaining jurisdiction of a state on whose registry an object launched into outer space is carried and control over such object and over any personnel thereof while in outer space or on a celestial body has been declared in Article 8 of the Outer Space Treaty. By analogy with air and and the law of the with air law and the law of the sea, this principle has provided a basis for a registration of space objects and established a link between the registration and the exercise of jurisdiction of states of registry over the respective object. 
The formulation of some of the principles included in uh, the 1967 Outer Space Treaty reflects the limits which the drafters of this instrument were not able or didn't wish at that time to cross. In particular, this concerned Article 9 that provided for undertaking of appropriate international consultations before proceeding with an activity or experiment which would cause potentially harmful interference with activities of other states' parties in the peaceful exploration and use of outer space, including the Moon and other celestial bodies. However, neither such consultations nor the outcome thereof have been made compulsory. While undoubtedly legalizing the exploration and use of outer space, including the Moon and other celestial bodies, as well as the scientific investigation thereof, the 1967 Outer Space Treaty did not bring any principles that would regulate economic activities, the purpose of which would be to explore and exploit natural resources of outer space, the Moon and other celestial bodies, or to produce energy from outer space. At the time of elaboration of that legal instrument, such problems still seemed to be too remote and an opening of discussions thereon would have much delayed the conclusion of the Outer Space Treaty. During the period of 12 years following the entry of the Outer Space Treaty into force, four other UN Space Treaties were developed. The finalization of the second space treaty, the 1968 Agreement on the Rescue of Astronauts, the Return of Astronauts and the Return of Space Objects, was accelerated by some tragic events that occurred just around the day of signature of the Outer Space Treaties. The 1968 Rescue Agreement, however, has dealt almost exclusively with accidents in the territories under and outside the jurisdiction of states parties and with the return of the personnel and space objects or their component parts. It didn't specifically regulate assistance and rescue during the activities in outer space and on celestial bodies. It was technically not possible at that time. The third UN Space Treaty, the 1972 Convention on International Liability for Damage Caused by Space Objects, unlike similar instruments adopted in the field of air, maritime and atomic law, enacted interstate methods of the settlement of disputes, which prevail even if damage of and compensation to private persons should be at stake. However, the Convention doesn't provide for a compulsory resolution of disputes relating to claims for compensation for damage. Even if such claims should be dealt with a claims commission to be established after the failure of diplomatic negotiations, as provided in the Convention, its decisions would be binding only if the parties to the dispute so agreed. The force of uh, the Space Treaties, the 1975 Convention on Registration of Objects Launched into Outer Space, implementing, implemented the principles which had been declared in Article 8 of the Outer Space Treaty. In the Registration Convention, it states parties agreed to register their objects launched into space by means of an entry in an appropriate registry, which they should maintain. Moreover, they agreed to establish a central register a central register for such objects to be maintained by the Secretary-General of the United Nations. 
In order to enable the UN Secretariat to act accordingly, each state on whose registry a space object is carried shall furnish to the Secretary General certain information, the format of which has been specified in Article 4 of the Convention. The information requested was chosen to meet the need for a satisfactory identification of space objects. It should be also mentioned that the Convention enables each state of registry to provide additional information concerning a space object carried on its registry. This provision is particularly relevant in the case of accidents caused by malfunctioning space objects and also in the cases of transfer of space objects into uh, two different owners. Moreover, each state of registry is obliged to notify the UN Secretary-General of space objects which have been, but no longer are, in Earth's orbit. The authors of the fifth legal instrument, the 1979 agreement governing the activities of states on the Moon and other celestial bodies, also elaborated on a number of principles of the 1967 Outer Space Treaty. But when negotiating the Moon Agreement, its drafters were not in a position to rely on the Outer Space Treaty when dealing with the issue of future economic activities on the Moon, because the Outer Space Treaty remained mostly silent in that regard. An attempt to reach a generally acceptable compromise in this issue was made by joining the confirmation of the freedom of scientific investigation and the exploration and use of the Moon as a right of all states, with the commitment to establish an international regime governing the exploitation of the natural resources of the Moon as such exploitation is about to become feasible. However, this solution, though adopted by consensus both in the COPOS and later on in the UN General Assembly, has failed to attract so far the interest of many nations as evident from the limited number of signatures and ratifications of this instrument up to date. As of now, the Moon Agreement has only 13 states parties and was signed by four additional states. The limited interest in this instrument is still more regrettable due to the fact that according to its Article 1, the provisions of the 1979 Moon Agreement should also apply to other celestial bodies within the solar system, other than the Earth, except insofar as specific legal norms enter into force with respect to any of these celestial bodies. Up to this date, no special agreement on any other celestial body was initiated, and concluded in the United Nations, notwithstanding the growing exploration of several of them by individual states and organizations and plans to increase such activities, particularly those relating to the planet Mars. When the COPOS in 1994 considered the question of the review of the Moon Agreement in accordance with its Article 18, which uh, had provided to do so in uh, the light of the applications of the agreement 10 years after its entry into force, it recommended to the UN General Assembly to take no further action at that time. However, the development of space activities uh, relating to the moon exploration in recent years led a number of states to uh, addressing the low participation of states in the Moon Agreement, in the COPOS and its legal subcommittees, and uh, a special working group on the status of international uh, space treaties, uh, started the consideration of this particular 
problem. Since 1979, the United Nations has not elaborated and concluded any new space treaty. It doesn't mean, however, that the efforts of the COPOS and its legal subcommittee for the progressive development of the legal regime of space activities have not continued. During the 1980s and 1990s, the United Nations returned to the practice of declaring space legal, legal principles by resolutions of its General Assembly. But while the first such resolutions adopted in uh, the early 1960s rather initiated international cooperation and created a basis for the space lawmaking law process, the adoption of sets of principles by the UN General Assembly resolution, uh, resolutions after 1979 have had to regulate this in greater detail some special categories of space activities. In this way, four sets of such principles were elaborated and adopted by the UN General Assembly thus far, namely Principles governing international television broadcasting in 1982, remote sensing of the Earth from outer space in 1986, use of nuclear power sources in outer space in 1992, and the declaration of international cooperation for the benefit and in the interest of all states, taking into particular account the needs of developing countries in 1996. Some of the sets of principles incorporated significant compromise resolutions of controversial issues held by different groups of states. This has been visible particularly in the 1986 remote sensing principles. In some other sets, new ideas have been implemented, such as the concept of sufficiently high orbits for nuclear reactors and ultimate disposal in higher orbits of radio, radio isotope generations in the 1992 principles on nuclear power sources. The UN sets of principles are also based on the 1967 Outer Space Treaty and, moreover, in some provisions of the Liability and Registration Conventions. Unlike the space treaties, however, they are not legally binding. Nevertheless, they reflect the legal conviction of the present international community. Such General Assembly resolutions, particularly those adopted by consensus, if followed by a constant practice of states and international organizations, play a significant role either in establishing, in establishing customary rules of international law or as a basis for future negotiations on international treaties to regulate the same subjects in a generally binding manner. In the third chapter of my lecture, I will briefly sum up discussions on some specific issues relating to the application of the United Nations space treaties and their re results. At present, the COPOS and its legal subcommittee do not discuss any new topic with a view of drafting another regulatory instrument. It doesn't mean, however, that these bodies do no longer have on their agendas any item of a legal significance. The legal subcommittee now concentrates on some specific questions of the existing treaties, particularly those relating to the liability and registration conventions as applied by states and international space organizations in the light of new and expected practices in space activities. So far, such items, the review of the concept of the launching state and practice of states and international organizations in registering space objects, passed through a detailed examination. The conclusions of the discussions on the first item, 
the launching state, were inserted in a special resolution which was adopted by the United Nations General Assembly in 2004. In its operative part, it is recommended that states conducting space activities in fulfilling their international obligations arising from the international space agreements consider enacting and implementing their national laws that would authorize and provide for continuing supervision of the activities in outer space of non-governmental entities under their jurisdiction. Furthermore, this resolution recommends that the uh, COPWAS invite member states to submit information on a voluntary basis on their current practices regarding on-orbit transfer of ownership of space objects and that states consider the possibility of harmonizing such practices with a view to increasing the consistency of national space legislation with international law. Another item of this category, in the negotiation of which agreement has recently been uh, reached, is practice of states and international organizations in registering space objects. At the end of the consideration of this item, a number of recommendations have been inserted in a, another special resolution, which was adopted by the United Nations General Assembly in 2007. The resolution appeals for a universal accession and acceptance, implementation and observance of the provisions of the Registration Convention. Moreover, a number of recommendations for improving the registration practices and their harmonizations have been spelled out. States and international organizations are invited to include in their announcements submitted to the UN Secretary General additional information specified in the text of the resolution. Further recommendations relate to the determination which state or entity should register the space object in case of its launch from the territory of a, or facility of another state. To joint launches of space objects by several states, to the supervision of space objects in orbit, and any change of their orbital positions or functions. On the basis of these resolutions, in 2007, the Legal Subcommittee agreed on and the COPWAS endorsed the inclusion of a new item in the agenda of the Legal Subcommittee, namely general exchange of information on national legislation relevant to the peaceful exploration and use of outer space to be discussed under a work plan during 2008 and to 2011. The COPOS Legal Subcommittee also continues its discussions on a number of regular items which have been on its agenda for many years. One of them is the definition and delimitation of outer space. In recent years, the subcommittee and its working group established on this particular subject concentrated on the examination of possible legal issues concerning the so-called aerospace objects. Such objects combine the technology based on the principle of aerodynamic lift for operation in, in space, airspace with the rocket propulsion for moving in outer space. For several years, also another interesting item has been under discussion in the COPWAS Legal Subcommittee on the initiative of the International Institute for the Unification of Private Law, UNITROA. The Institute developed a convention on international interests in mobile equipment facilitating the foreign investments which was adopted in Cape Town in November 2001. The convention should be accompanied by three protocols, namely 
the protocol on matters specific to aircraft equi equipment, which was already adopted together with the 2001 base convention and entered into force. The protocol on matters specific to railway rolling stock, which was recently finalized and also adopted and the protocol on matters specific to space assets, which is still under preparation. In a similar way as the first two protocols, the draft space protocol envisages the establishment of a special registry for inscribing the loans to be provided by one or more financier for inquiring or using equipment of a high value and in return giving the financier a charge over the equipment. Upon the request of the United Nations General Assembly, the COPOS and its legal subcommittee discussed two outstanding issues relating to the draft space protocol, namely the possibility of uh, the United Nations serving a supervising authority over the special registry, and the relationships between the terms of the draft protocol and the rights and obligations of states under the legal regime applicable to outer space. The problems relating to the impact of space activities on the Earth and protection of the space environment belonged to this group of proposals. For several years, a set of uh, questions relating to the most impending issues in this field, the mitigation of the generation of space debris and the application of effective technical measures against this kind of pollution of outer space, have already been under consideration by the COPOS and its scientific and technical subcommittee. These considerations led to the elaboration of guidelines for practice and policies which would uh, be implemented on a voluntary basis through national mechanisms. These guidelines have been endorsed by the COPOS at its 50th session in June 2007 and by the UN General Assembly at its 62nd session in December 2007. While welcoming this uh, progress, a question must be raised, however, whether such measures, which would become from the legal point of view only a kind of proposals or encouragements to unilateral actions, would initiate a sufficient feeling of duty to comply with them, if no international responsibility in cases of non-compliance with such guidelines could be derived from them. This and other legal aspects of space debris should still be discussed sooner or later in the legal subcommittee, which is a competent body for this task. Therefore, it ought to be welcomed that in the legal subcommittee at least an agreement was reached to undertake the general exchange of information on national mechanisms relating to space debris mitigation measures as an item for discussion. An ambitious idea was also raised during the discussion on possible new items for the legal subcommittee in recent years. Along the pattern of the 1982 United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea, the possibility of developing a universal and comprehensive convention on space law that would reestate the fundamental principle uh, contained in the present space treaties and also fill the gap in the current framework should be explored. This proposal, however, raised the opposition of another group of member states in the legal subcommittee. They argue that the current legal framework established by the United Nations space treaties in force 
adequately meet the needs of the international community in matters relating to outer space. Therefore, this legal framework can be strengthened through increased participation in at, and adherence to the existing UN treaties and principles on outer space. The last part of my lecture will briefly examine the character of the present system of space law. It is to admit that the present international law governing space activities cannot claim to be a complete legal system. Its progressive development should, and hopefully will, continue sooner or later by conclusions of further agreements. This development will depend on the willingness of government, particularly on the space powers, to work and cooperate towards this purpose. Therefore, it is not possible to accept the view that such space activities, which have not been regulated so far by any international legal instrument, remain completely free for states, international organizations, and even pri private persons forever. On the other hand, it must be taken into account that in addition to the UN space instruments, bilateral and multilateral treaties have been or will be concluded by two or more international persons outside the framework of the United Nations or the relevant specialized agencies of its systems or of organizations. They are also parts of present international law. Moreover, a number of states already adopted national laws governing their own space activities, including the activities of private entities under their jurisdiction. The national space legislation, however, shall remain in full harmony with international space law, especially with the principles established by the United Nations Space Treaties. In this way, a wide concept of space law has been emerging, which is analogous to the wide concept of air law. It comprises the UN Space Treaties and UN sets of principles providing a basis of the whole space legal system. The provisions of other international space agreements, including the statutes of international intergovernmental space or organizations, and national laws implementing and completing the international norms by appropriate regulations of national activities performed under the jurisdiction of individual states. May I conclude my lecture by saying, that the rule of law in outer space must be maintained and strengthened and assist the sustainable development of space activities for peaceful purposes in the common interest of all mankind. Thank you.